Second Samuel chapter 15 this evening, A Treacherous Child is the title. The title is, of course, dictated to by the text. We meet some interesting characters here, some good, some bad. Ahithophel, for the first time, he'll show up this evening. Then there is one of my favorites in the Bible, Itai, and Hushai as another person. Uh, lessons on loyalty and disloyalty, honor and dishonor. Look at verse 1. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Well, after being, when it says after this, it happened, that is, of course, after his exile, and he's now restored by his father. <clears throat> his dad thinks everything's fine. But there's an active bitterness working in the heart of Absalom, and it's pretty intense. Uh, Hebrews, Paul warns us, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Uh, bitterness is a very serious thing. It's hard to forgive when you've been hurt or wronged. And uh, the New Testament's not very tolerant of that with us. I mean, in a gracious way, of course, God is tolerant with us, but with, with that behavior, it's a, the warning is strong. This thing can get out of control. Well, we're seeing that in Absalom. He is bitter because he feels his father did not execute justice on Amnon, and, and so he is the advocate for his sister Tamar, who was the victim, where it says Absalom provided for himself, we... Um, we know the cause. Verse 4 gives us the cause. If we look down at verse 4, moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. See, justice is on out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So he feels a great injustice has taken place, and he's right. It was not. David handled, he, he, David messed it up. But it did not merit what's coming. And so without care for God, uh, he is going to uh, try to take the nation from his father and, and kill his father. He is the epitome of self-exhortation. The world would call him, call him a narcissist. Absalom provided for himself, it tells us. Provided himself with this entourage. Uh, God will not have fellowship with self-exaltation. A clear lesson in the scripture. When a person becomes like Absalom was, uh, it's the type of person that lives in a coffin. There's only room for themselves. And uh, they're, they're dead already. And it's a sad case. And we're all susceptible to these things. With chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now, I'm not just, you know, lumping these things on Absalom. I'm say, everything I've said is on the strength of knowing what he is up to, who he is, and the outcome that uh, he will face, the, the damage he causes. Uh, he is not, um, his behavior is inexcusable and is wicked, where it says with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him, he's drawing attention to himself, creating this illusion that he is the leader in Israel, because this goes back to, Samuel, before Israel had a king, there in 1 Samuel chapter 8, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> some will run before his chariots. Years later, another son of David, Adonijah, we read about him in 1 Kings chapter 5 when he tries to take the throne from David. David is still alive and he doesn't want Solomon to become king. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And so my point is, clearly, this move on Absalom's part is saying, you know, I'm the king. And this uh, self-enthronement that we're looking at... Um, is based on his believing that he is the most important person in the universe anyway. He knew that Solomon was scheduled to be the successor to David by the word of 
God through Nathan the prophet, and uh, hence the effort to steal the throne now. Verse 2, Now Absalom would rise up early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Now, this phrase here, well, this Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. Uh, this today is one who attends a church and wants to start a church and is stealing people from the church that they are attending. We call them Absaloms at the gate. Uh, and through cunning, stealing people to their side, away from the other side. Unfortunately, it, it happens too much. I don't know how men can do that, but it, it does happen, uh, especially in smaller churches. Well, at least that's been my experience. But he rises up early. He's eager to achieve his sinister ambitions. Now is the time for him to move. Uh, Nathan's, again, prophecy meant nothing to him, that it was from God. The gate is the entrance to the the city where the king's court was, business was taken care of, plans for war were established. When Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail, uh, he has in mind Satan and his plans, uh, his, his government, his kingdom. It says here in verse 2, So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, uh, but Well, you say, what city are you from? Uh, again, he's at war with his father. So common is this type of personality that it's almost boring. He's an ingrate. Do ingrates know that they're ingrates? I mean, do mean people know that they're mean? You know, you, you just have to, you know, litter bugs. What about people who litter? Isn't it disgusting that they just throw things on other people's property? Do they know that they're messed up like that? We should capture a few of them and, and beat it out of them just to find out it's for science. I mean, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went for a walk and I just see litter, you know, so somebody's just dropping their trash. And just, you know what? We're going to set a trap for him. <laughs> it did not. The flesh does. It's always, you know, how it is. Uh, you, you should know. If you're alive, you know. Anyway. He'd say, what city are you from? And the person responded, would say, <clears throat> your servant is from such and such city. So he's going to tailor his response. He's asking, where are you from? And he knows what the people, he's a typical politician uh, the neg in the negative sense. And he's inquiring, not because he cares for them, but he's starting a revolution. And he's uh, playing on the feelings of the people and manipulating them trying to win them to his side. He's going to do a good job at this. It works. It's not like, well, boy, who does that? Well, Absalom did that, and many have done it since. <clears throat> Jude writes this in the 16th verse, speaking about this type in a church. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Well, there's your Absalom at the gate. And uh, you, nobody's forcing Absalom to be this way. There are other ways. He, you know, if he wanted to increase justice in the land because he had a problem with how his dad did it, he could have joined the court of his father and won his trust and, and been uh, just a, a great prince in the court. But he chose the route of evil, because that's what his heart was. Now, you can't say, well, he's just a spoiled rich brat, because there are spoiled poor brats, too. Just that the rich ones get all the bad press, because we're jealous. <laughs> Wish I was spoiled and rich. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I'll just take the riches, but if being spoiled comes with it, so be it. Anyway, uh, verse 3, And Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right. <clears throat> But there is no deputy of the king to hear you. What? Of course there was. Uh, but he's, again, manipulating these people, making promises and, you know, stirring up dirt to win people over to his side. David, incidentally, did not need to hear every case. That's what tribal leaders were for. There were others to hear 
the cases that were happening in the land. We have no record of David uh, other than his handling of Amnon of really messing up. We remember the woman of Tekoa, even though her story was fabricated, she got audience to hear what was going on. So uh, Absalom is just uh, <clears throat> making these things up. If, if the king didn't hear them, they probably weren't worth hearing. Their appeal was shut down. Uh, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Again, the implication is that David is not ruling well and that he can do better. Sowing seeds of discord. Some people are really good at sowing hatred, are they not? They do things that make you get in the flat, like the litter bugs that just, I don't mean, I'm not talking about just a little rapper here. Now. I mean, people just throw their trash out. It's like, oh, man. Uh, Proverbs. I'm not in the flesh over this. I've got other stuff to be in the flesh about. Proverbs 6.19, a false witness who speaks lies and the one who sows discord among brethren. This is one of the things God hates, and Absalom's doing that. Again, back to Jude. Jude says these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. They're they're emotional. Uh, They're not thinking. They don't want to think. If they don't like something, it doesn't feel good to them, they act against whatever authorities may be put in place, whether God put them there or not. Uh, David's administration was uh, certainly, from what we know, adequate. Anyway, verse 4. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause... Would come to me, then I would give him justice. This bold face. I'd do better if I were king than my father. If you he's just now, you know, you, you can see his, the writer has condensed it, but it's happening over a period of time. He's gaining strength, he's gaining followers, and he's becoming brazen as it goes, as he goes along. And <clears throat> when it says, then I would give him justice, well, he's about to commit a great injustice against. God's word against his own father, and he's going to plunge the kingdom into civil war. He is justifying his treason in his heart. And, uh, you know, he's Tamar's advocate, and David has got to pay, and he's going to take the throne in the process. His promise to give justice while trampling the word of God, the Ten Commandments. Uh, honor your father and mother. And uh, he's not going to do anything like that, not at least with his father. <clears throat> Verse 5, So it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. He's one of, you know, he's handing out cigars and kissing babies, as they used to do many years ago when they ran for office. And he is just uh, drawing uh, attention to him. Now, people, of course, would 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 go to him initially because he's the crown prince and he's you know, they would uh, like to do this kind of a thing and they don't know that he is a, a treacherous child and this kiss of course he's acting like he can identify with the people that he's you know you know not above them but with them proverbs 27 6 once again we read it sunday faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful he was a popularist uh, here, and it's, uh, it, again, unfortunately, it, it worked. David, meanwhile, is probably back at the palace trimming his bonsai plant. Uh, verse 6, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The writer is very careful to give us that. He is... Uh, a thief of the poor judgment of others. He stole the hearts. It's an accurate translation. If there were, you know, we, I, th- I think most of us think we have discernment, and some of us do overall. But the fact that there is a gift of discernment, spiritual discernment, indicates that it is not as common and as so widespread as we might think it is. 
uh, if you know, we're willing to yield, okay, I don't have the gift of tongues. Okay, I don't have the gift of that or this, but I got the gift of discernment. Everybody wants that one. And it has been the downfall of many a good church and uh, individuals. We think that we see well. And I, I think if we think we have good discernment, why do we need to depend on the Holy Spirit? Because we're sort of riding the bike alone now. Uh, it's a good idea to just stay in a place where we are dependent upon him. And if we have that gift, to understand we are not possessors of the gift. We are st- it, the gift is subject to the present of the Spirit for it to work the way it is supposed to work. Um, <clears throat> Second Samuel uh, chapter 18 does address this evil ambition. It ended under a pile of stones. That's how it's going to go for Absalom. Chapter 18, verse 17. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Uh, That's where it's going to get him, this wicked ambition of stealing hearts this cunning manipulation, this being self-impressed in the center of his own universe, this acting like a king when he is not the king. Many lessons are there for especially the younger believers. I think the older believers are too tired to put that much energy in anything. It was a joke. (laughs) No, that's me. You just described me. (laughs) Verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. Well, we don't know the reference point of this 40 years. Certainly there's a lot of debate. Does it really mean 40 years? You know, in the New Testament, when, there's a, when, a, when a commentator doesn't like something, they're quick to say, better manuscripts say. And, and I disagree almost all the time with that approach. In the, in the Old Testament, though, it's always a scribal error. And they just go right to that. And I, I'm not... So, I mean, there, there are discrepancies that have to be accounted for. Here, I'm, you know, last time we did this, I think I took a lot of time giving all, you know, the different views. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm just going to say, uh, we don't, I don't know what 40 years he's talking about. And I really don't have to because... The narrative is not damaged by me discovering, well, is that 40 years, 40 minutes, 44 years, or what? Uh, if you want to put that time in it, uh, that's a good thing. It's not, not a bad thing. Uh, anyway, he says here, please let me go to Hebron and pay a vow which I made to Yahweh. <clears throat> so he's cloaking his treacherous intentions under the guise of worship to Yahweh. Loyalty to a vow, as the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to God, you're supposed to follow through on it. He's lying to his father also, but he invokes the name of Yahweh, that covenant name, and it is all a a big lie. The king's children did not have unlimited freedom in the kingdom, and that's why he's getting permission. Well, that's the same today. I mean, if you're the child of of a president... You just can't jump in your car and drive on down the road. You are a hot item and a target and to get to the president. And so, so it was with the princes. They couldn't just go wherever they wanted, uh, to, to, in this case, to Hebron. Uh, David was twice crowned king in Hebron, uh, king of Judah, and then they came and crowned him king of all Israel. Uh, Absalom was born in Hebron, and he's going to make this the headquarters of his rebellion. Verse 8, For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If Yahweh indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve Yahweh. Well, we have no indication that any of this is true. And the one time that Absalom speaks the name, that we hear Yahweh's name come from his lips, he's using it, to lie. This is the, again, the kind, these aren't little things. These aren't, oh, by the ways. These are indications of a deep problem, and the writer knows that any righteous Jew reading this will have no problem seeing it, and we Christians should have no problem seeing it. There's no defense for Absalom. 
The, again, the fact that his dad blew, blew it with Amnon justifies none of this. And uh, because, again, he so loved, was so in love with himself, he's not bothered by what he does to others, including God, because he is the center. Uh, if you were to ask him, Absalom, are you the center of the universe? He would say no, because he would know that that's not the appropriate answer, the expected answer. This is what makes a person what they call a sociopath. They have no conscience. They know it's expected of them, so they deliver that while they're getting away with other things or building up to it. Uh, again, uh, not too uncommon. Uh, verse 9, And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Again, David is probably thinking, oh, this is good. He's, he made a vow to the Lord in exile, and he, he wants to follow through. I have a righteous son, and I'm, I'm glad he's home again. That's probably what David is, is thinking, as again, he's trimming the bonsai plant, because this is new hobby. I mean, he's, David's probably in his 60s at this point. Absalom's maybe in his 30s somewhere. Um, Solomon is probably not yet a teenager. Just trying to, you know, put it together, you, you, you can safely get in the ballpark, but you cannot, uh, no one can be exact. <clears throat> Verse 10, then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Well, it's premeditated, yes, because it's well organized. He, uh... Anybody think that, uh, you know, Satan does not have a formidable force? You are crazy. Uh, he is a fierce enemy. And don't take anything he can do lightly. Verse 11, And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem. And they went along innocently and did not know anything. In other words, they were very stupid men. No, no, they did not know anything. They knew something. They, they didn't know anything about the coup. Or not the, well, the uprising, or the, the, the takeover. Uh, <clears throat> it's not going to stay a coup. Again, under the appearance of celebrating a vow to Yahweh. These men were caught, in the, caught up in the conspiracy. We don't know what happened after they realized what, what took place with Absalom, which way did they go after that? But there's no boast about them either. There's no statement like, but they, you know, returned to Jerusalem or they were loyal to the king. They just, it's all it says. They didn't know this was happening. Uh, Absalom probably considered them to be, um, you know, not committed to the king or anyone else. Moderates, that's the word. Not knowing, going wherever the wind blows. Verse 12, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, <clears throat> from Gilon, uh, Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Well, David can't, you know, look out the window and see what's going on. This, all of this is taking place in Hebron. By the time a messenger does get to David, Absalom has gained substantial momentum. But here we meet Ahithophel. He was known as Israel's greatest advisor to the king. Also, he was Bathsheba's grandfather. And he, held, he held, evidently was bitter towards David still. And that's why he's siding with Absalom. Because David killed his son-in-law, Uriah. And he may have retired to uh, Gilo. That's why he's, he's there, because he's really not serving in Jerusalem anymore. It does say he was David's counselor. I'm sure if David sent for him, he would, he would answer. But there was a bitterness in his heart also. <clears throat> it says, while he offered sacrifices. Well, this is the vow that uh, he, he used as a guise. Back at that time, you could offer sacrifices in other places than Jerusalem, but once the temple was built, it was forbidden uh, to, to give these sacrifices to the Lord. There are little gray zones here and there, 
but not really. Elijah on Mount Carmel, that really wasn't an act of worship. That was a duel. Uh, anyway, uh, which was, of course, everything Elijah did was an act of worship. <clears throat> While he offered sacrifices, the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Yeah, because there's plenty of food. No kidding. I, I mean, there was plenty of food. And, it, it uh, you know, he, he is feeding them. That's what they would do. Again, Proverbs 18, verse 17. I really like this verse. And I, I, I think of it enough in, in life. There are, there are people tend to believe one side of the story and become very, you know, supportive of the first person they hear, their side of the story. So Proverbs 18, 17 addresses this. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Well, siblings know this. The first one to tell mom may get, you know, she, she, she's on his side until the other one comes and tells the other side. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> some parents don't administer justice. They administer favorites, and that's a, that is bad. Don't do that. Justice, not uh, favoritism. You'll, you'll create sour apples. Anyway, verse 13. <laughs> now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. That's all he had to say. Verse 14. <clears throat> so David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee. We shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. I don't think David is excited as I am in reading it. There's so much, we've got so much here coming. I hope we get through the chapter. <clears throat> uh, David is totally in control of himself mentally at, at this point, I think, and it, you'll see as we go forward. Uh, but God said the sword would not depart from his house. That was part of the punishment upon him for murdering Uriah. 2 Samuel 12, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Uh, David, <clears throat> he instantly knows what, what's going on. Uh, and uh, when the priests show up, you'll, you'll see that too. Uh, he's taken by surprise, yes, complete surprise. But he's... Behaving like a professional soldier and a, and, a, and a good king. There was no prophet to warn him that this was coming other than the prophecy. There was no discernment on his part to alert him that Absalom was up to no good. Uh, he was a man still under rebuke, and he wasn't the same David that he was earlier. He will write about this, but when he writes about it, uh, it is it is wonderful when David talks about how the mercy of God was on his life when he's when he, at the end of his life and he writes about that. And we'll we'll get a quote of that in a little bit. But this was a critical decision, and the timing was critical also. A delay may have sparked panic in the palace and in the city, and, and resulting in doom. It would have been hard to you know get everybody collected after the panic struck. And so his quick decision, it galvanizes the people. Okay, our king is under attack, but he knows what he's going to do. And he's going to take the battle out of Jerusalem. He doesn't want the city to suffer. He certainly doesn't want to be under siege. Uh, he knows how to fight. And he's going to take, go to, you know, he, let's take it to the battlefields. And this is going to, to save him, actually. Uh, Exodus 21.15 comes to mind concerning Absalom. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That is what is going to happen. It's probably what also just invigorated Joab when Joab skews him. And then they again throw him in the ditch and pile stones on him. David in Psalm 3 writes about his escape from Absalom. That psalm is written based on the outcome after this whole uh, <clears throat> affair is, is, is finalized. Verse 15. <clears throat> And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And so we've discussed disloyalty. Now we're seeing the loyal ones. And you've got to love this. If, you know, to, to, be, to be a servant and to have a king that you love and you believe in and you're ready to commit to him, even as you've got shortcomings, you're still there. And that's very appealing. And then on David's side... 
Here he is, uh, has a treacherous child, but he's got people that aren't his family that are coming to his support. And these men, uh, they know the king's fault, and they understand that, you know, life is ugly, and we get it. God dealt with that. He's our king. God did not take him off the throne, and neither are we. Uh, and this righteous king expects to have righteous subjects that are loyal, and he's got them. So the message to us is, you know... It, we as we have to choose sides and stick with it. It's better that way. Of course, I'm, I mean, if you go to a church and they renounce Christ and the Scripture, you know, they, you, then they, they've traded, not you. You get out of there. But just because, you know, policies are not favorable to you, no reason to break loyalty, uh, I, I would like to encourage people to stay in their churches um, unless I like them and want them to come here. <laughs> That'd be sick. Boy, I wouldn't want to be that guy. Anyway, David had many men that would stick closer to him than his own sons. Verse 16, Then the king went out with all the household after him, but the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. Well, here's an indication David plans on returning. He says, listen, don't, don't wreck the place, okay? Stay back. You know where the cushions go, right? Uh kind of thing, but it also is a kind of an indication of life in the harem, that they didn't just sit around playing ping pong. Uh, they had duties to do. Idle hands are, are, you know, a big problem. I do not, I think David gave Absalom too much credit. Absalom's not going to violate, even though the prophecy warned about this. I think David must have missed that. Ooh, you're under attack, you missed something. Of course, he can't see it all. <clears throat> anyway, Solomon, of course, is, is going to further <clears throat> incriminate himself. Verse 17, did I say Solomon? Somehow that's your fault. <laughs> Absalom is going to incriminate himself. Verse 17, and the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. That's where they were selling women's... Uh, <laughs> the outer. All right. <laughs> hey, this would be good for my wife. Uh, got any more outskirts? <laughs> just, just don't say sooth. There's no sooth saying. Anyway, he stops and he wants the people to see him. He's their king and they need to see him. But here's the verse that I was talking about that David writes at the end of his life about all of the drama, the mistakes, and the blessings all bundled into one in the 23rd chapter. Just the fifth verse is one of the outstanding verses of the Bible. He says, Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. He will not uh, will he not make it increase? He's a man. He's not, am I saved? Am I not saved? He's like, God has got this. He's, I know I'm messed up. Not as much as some of you. But he's saying, I know I'm messed up. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Man, I got goosebumps reading this. Right now, David's in heaven. And we're reading about his life and what God has done with him because we want to find out what does God do. That's, it's all about God. With the characters are just the, the, you know, pointing to God and what's happening. And uh, so there, you know, this is coming later, not yet. When he recovers from all of this, that's how he's going to go out. And a very, you know, faith blazing away. It's worth reading again, but we don't have time. Verse, 15, verse 18, because we still got to get to Itai. Uh, then all his servants passed before him, and all the Carathites and the Pelathites and the, all the Gittites, you know, a little bug spray to keep these off of you. <laughs> 600 men who had followed him from Gath passed before him. Now, some of these men are not Jews that are following him out of the city. In fact, some of them are Philistines that have been with him since before he became king. What does that say about David? Quite a bit. Um, Satan hated David. Uh, 
600 men who followed him from Gath. It's, it's not that, well, the Jews that started following him at that point, though there were some, these are, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, men from Gath. Um, we're never impressed with David's enemies. I mean, Goliath was a little impressive, right, until that rock went between his eyes. But we're, we are impressed with David. Uh, very much. If they passed before the king, because that was their king, and the troops needed to see him, and they need to see him alive, and they need to see how he handled himself. Verse 19, Then the king said to Itai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. See, we're, we're clearly told that he is from Gath. A Gittite means from Gath, that he is a foreigner, and that he just got there recently. If he were a Jew who arrived recently, from Judah, for example, he would not have been told, you know, this is not your fight. He is a Philistine. Uh, the, the, the inveterate enemies of the Jews. According to Jewish tradition, he was the son of, a Phil- of the Philistine king Achish. Well, I wouldn't rule that out. There were Levitical cities named Gath-Rimon and Gath-Hefer, but they, they were Jewish cities. This is the Gath of the Philistines. And um, this verse, I'm sure, is in deliberately preserved. By God, and they all are, of course, but this one, to, to register with us what it means to be loyal. What would we have done? Would we have gone back to Gath and said, you know, this is a Jewish issue. Uh, I'm not part of this. Uh, no, this man, is uh, he is a superstar in the Scripture, and the Scripture is using this to show us that When the chips are down, there are those that are with you nonetheless. We call it loyalty. Loyalty is not something that, you know, "Ah, maybe if I'm in the mood, um, if I can get something out of it. It's knowing where God has you and being loyal to that. And he believed in Yahweh. Let's continue verse 20. I've I've done at least one topical on it. I, I, I hope to do about 20 more before I go to heaven. My bucket list is to preach some of the sermons I've already outlined. Anyway, in fact, verse 20, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth, mercy and truth be with you. Here's David thinning out his army. He's got 600 men here. So uh, <clears throat> that's almost a rifle company. He can use these guys. But he wants a clean fight. And he wants to do it the right way. Verse 21, But Itai, here's the answer, answered the king and said, As Yahweh lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. David, I am so into being with you that uh, to death do us part. Loyal to the king, a king that is on the run. That's, you know, that's when a friend counts, when you need them to count, when it matters, not when everything is all fine, you are buddies, it's when you're down. And a lot of people, a lot of friends will abandon you when you're down. And uh, it's just sad, and then later on, maybe you can patch it up still, but it happens. Matthew 13, I think, speaks about this concerning loyalty to King Jesus. He says, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He abandons you. So you notice that he says, As Yahweh lives, that's first. That's the covenant name of, of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. And he, he says that that's the first part. Then he has David come second. And as my Lord the King lives. So he's got his doctrine right. He is a convert uh, to the God of Israel. 
Surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. I've noticed that loyalty comes easier to some than others. It's available to all. There are some that just don't get loyalty. They don't see the, 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 the implications of it in the presence of Christ. And that's unfortunate. <clears throat> it, uh, it's, easy to be loyal. it's easier sometimes to be loyal to God than it is to God's anointed leader. And that's what David is. And just because the king's own son was a traitor did not mean that everyone was a traitor. That is encouraging. If you're going through stuff and you feel people are against you and everything is, you know, you feel you're innocent, God has his remnant even for you as an individual. So what compelled these men to follow David into an uncertain future? What did he have to offer them? Well, the same thing that compels us in the fellowship without king. Love. They, they genuinely loved David. Uh, I don't know if you'll get to, you know, go out to have coffee in heaven or something of that equivalent. You know, let's go meet by the tree of life. But wouldn't you like to just, you know, sit down with David? Uh, and not, not talk about old times because I don't think we're going to. Who's going to want to remember any, anything down here? Listen, when I get to heaven, if, if they say, listen, look at the green light. <laughs> just everything goes away. I'm good with that. I, uh, I'm, I'm good for going forward. Some of you might want to remember your favorite bicycle or something like that. Uh, but I, all I can say is this. You won't fret about anything in heaven. And uh, it will be com- uh, com- etiquette, social etiquette, to not ask someone how they're doing. It would be a shameful question. What do you mean, how am I doing? I'm in heaven. Uh. <laughs> so... This Philistine, more loyal than David's own son, always a demand for such people in life. And this pledge, this pledge that he makes, <clears throat> it's, it's just, in the, when everything is collapsing, David, I'm with you. And for Ittai, the Gittite, the man from Gath, it was better to be with a few alongside the king that God put on the throne than to be with the false king regardless of how many people were with him. We don't read of any such men with Absalom. Uh, we read of Ahithophel, who's bitter and will end up doing his own self in. Verse 22, So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with them crossed over. So David said, he could see it. He could see it in his face, hear it in his voice. This, this man is with me. It was, okay, you, you know, let's move on. He will later receive a third of the command against Absalom on the battlefield. And we don't read of him again. We read of Joab and Abishai. They were, would also take a third of the troops. Uh, and we read of them after the battle. But we never hear of him again, which leads us to suppose he, he, died, he was killed in action. That may have not have been the case, but that's what seems to be. Uh, his loyalty went all the way. Notice that where he went... Where Itai went, his men went. And where the men went, their family went. Family was also inconvenienced in loyalty to the king. It wasn't, you know, well, let's get the kids out of here. Which is, you know, sometimes a wise thing to do. Uh, Now, I'm sure if they were on, like, the Titanic, the women and children would have gotten off first. But it just strikes me that it's so pronounced here that the men... Uh, all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. They were in this. Um, for Some of it for practical reasons, but they can't leave them behind. Absalom, who knows what he would do, right? Verse 23, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. And the king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. So they're going out to the wilderness. Who, as David said, who knows where? That David is planning as he's moving forward, on the move. <clears throat> and so he crosses the brook Kidron, a, a, trying to uh, uh, hopefully delay the fight with Absalom so he can regroup. A thousand years later, 
Our Lord also crossed the brook Kidron, and we're told that in John 18, verse 1, uh, and there on his way to uh, Gethsemane. But he's not looking to delay the fight. He's looking to hasten the fight. Our Lord, when he crosses the brook Kidron, and that is the fight against sin. Verse 24, there was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Man, this is just, you know, more. So not only does he have this, the, the foreign mercenaries, the palace guard, uh, his own people, but here are uh, the priests and the, the, the Levites with the Ark of the Covenant. It's got a just, you know, it's the, the, the emblem of the presence of God. David, of course, knows that there is so much more to God than the Ark of the Covenant. But these loyal subjects are lined up with their king at his worst. A friend is one who sticks by when it counts. And uh, even though God forgave David, they forgave him too. Absalom did not. So that stark line is drawn between the Absalom, the Absaloms of the world, and uh, those who are loyal and under, have an understanding of what's going on. Uh, they are suffering David's punishment <clears throat> right alongside him, even though they did nothing wrong. They could take it easy in the palace. And, and, and Absalom, it turns out, is going to be ready to receive whoever he gets, because when Hushai goes to Absalom, David sends him. Hushai is well received by Absalom. Uh, but no, they don't go back, uh, except the ones that are told to. Uh, verse 25, And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of Yahweh, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. The man is just still spiritual through and through. He's saying, I, I don't want to drag the ark of the covenant through all this with me. If, if God is with me, then he will be with me and he will restore me. And if he is not, then I, I deserve his judgments. Uh, just, um, you have to, he did, he did not see the Ark of the Covenant as a, a, a rabbit's foot. Uh, or super, uh, he wasn't superstitious, believing that there was some power in the Ark. Uh, the power is in God. And yeah, again, I wouldn't open the lid, because of God, not because of the ark. So um, this is uh, just his doctrine is solid. David never messed up when it came to his doctrine with God. It was the flesh. That's what, what tripped him up. It says, verse 26, but, it, but if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. And so, he's, you know, if God wants me to die because of this, then he is God as he's fleeing. Um, he's loyal to God, speaking of loyalty. Now, remember, David wouldn't kill Saul, would not touch God's anointed. Absalom didn't learn that lesson, didn't care for it, actually. He had to have heard it how many times as a child, and none of that registered with him. A treacherous child he is. And it really isn't, David didn't help matters, but still Absalom is the one that tells all parents, yeah, you'll mess up, but still it comes down to the child. Verse 27, and the king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. It's a relief to read about somebody with a normal name like Jonathan. Anyway, the seer refers to the one that is God shows hidden things to. Sort of like, uh, you know, uh, the, the, that discernment. Giving them the ability to see things that others can't see. That are hidden from their sight. Whereas a prophet is, a prophet can be a seer too. But a prophet is given a message to give to somebody else. From God. <clears throat> so a minor distinction between the two, but a distinction nonetheless. David knew that if he could have an ally whom God spoke to in uh, Absalom's court, 
that would be greatly to his advantage on the battlefield, and that is exactly what is going to happen. Verse 28, David continues, See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Verse 29, Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Now, that must have been a buzz amongst the people that started out like this. The king is sending the ark back into the city rather than dragging it through his, the wilderness because he's just going to trust God. See, he's always teaching this guy, David. He's always just by doing things that are right when it comes to the Lord. And uh, they were happy to serve the king. If the king said, look, this is what my strategy. I need you in there. You could be more useful for me there. They said, aye, aye, and off with the order they went. Uh, Verse 30, so David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went. Well, he knows he's brought this upon the people. This is a chastisement as king, and yet... He is uh, just humble. And the people, they do what their king does, which is, again, speaks of their loyalty and their love for him. And when he wrote Psalm 3, this is what he wrote. Again, after Psalm 3, written after this, this experience. But he writes, You, O Yahweh, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. So he had to have remembered that he's leaving the city with his head covered, his feet bare. He's, he's leaving in great humility, and God restores him. Uh, going back to that verse from the 23rd chapter where he says, he's, he, you know, my house has not always been so, but he has made an everlasting covenant with me. Would to God that we Christians would have such assurance in our faith. And all the people who are with him, bottom of verse 30, covered their heads and went up weeping as they went. What a sight. Uh, Verse 31. Joab was, what was Joab doing, right? Joab was weeping while he was sharpening his knife on a stone. (laughs) Something like that. Verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. (laughs) Instead of saying... No, bring back the priest with the ark. This is bad news. This is like the worst news he could get. Ahithophel is going to be calling the shots in the camp of Absalom. David said, I have nobody like that. But David was far more concerned with Ahithophel than he was with Absalom. That's how bad news this was, but that's not all the story. What is the first thing David does? He takes this to God. This is too big for him. Oh, Yahweh, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. There's a great emotion in that, oh, Yahweh. It's it's an animated moment in the life of David, leaving the city. He's already crying as he's leaving, and, and then this bad news comes to him, not off to a good start. He makes a plea to the Lord. It's a deep prayer. Uh uttered by an imperfect man to a perfect Savior, and God's going to almost instantly grant a deposit on answering his prayer. Not going to just, you know, let Hithophel drop dead on the spot. It's a little difficult, a little different than that. But within steps, verse 32, David will begin to see God's work. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain, where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. A ray of hope against his recent bad news. <clears throat> Hushai was also a wise counselor, not as respected as Ahithophel, but respected nonetheless. And David is going to use him to counter Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel must not have had the personality. You know, he just, you know, you, you meet these, some, some people can be incredibly knowledgeable about scripture and history, but are so boring, you can't listen to them. But they have all this knowledge. 
And uh, yet you get another guy, not as knowledgeable, but he, you know, is very, you know, uh, charismatic. I don't mean it in the Pentecostal way necessarily. I just animated and into it, and you can hold your attention. Me, I have both. (laughs) So, and you know it. Anyway, (laughs) I think Ahithophel was kind of dry. And so, you know, when he's saying, Absalom, you need to do this. Hushai goes, hey, look. Yeah, I know. He's real smart and all that, but... And he sells it. And he's, he's going he's gonna to work. And it's a stroke of the Lord on the, in giving David the genius to do this very thing. And, and what impresses me is that how close it is on the heels. Now, David, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if Hushai is going to be successful. We know, looking at the story, God is already doing something. So you go to somebody who's, you know, the world is collapsing. You say, but look, the Lord has already done this. Yeah, but that's not enough. And we say, I know, I wish it was a clean stroke. But we can't ignore this clear move of God. It is a deposit to your faith. Verse 33, David said to him, if you go with me, then you will become a burden to me. (laughs) Say, look, Hushai is probably older now, older than David. And he's just telling him. And reasoning with him. Because Hushai says, I want to be with the king. I don't want to be back there with Absalom. The name doesn't even sound good at this point. It's like he's been diagnosed with Absalom. (laughs) You've got Absalom. There's no cure. Anyway. This, uh, here's Hushai adding to the lineup of loyal subjects. A friend of David, nonetheless. And that's clearly, we're told that. He is a friend of David. And uh, verse 34, David's continuing to, to convince him. He's right. If you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. <laughs> Man, David. Also, you know, David say, look, this is war, and you can lie a little bit. <laughs> <coughs> Those of you know who, those of you who know Corey Ten Boom's sister, I can't remember her name at the moment. She would never lie, and they were hiding the, the Jews under the floorboards, and they put a rug over it and a table on top. And the Germans said, uh, paraphrasing, you know, are there are there Jews under there? And she said, no. They said, where are the Jews hiding? She said, under the table, and they thought she was crazy because they looked at the table and they see a rug and a table, but she was telling the truth. Because then it was clearly she just couldn't lie. I don't like people like that. I like a little lie every now and then. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Unless I'm asked, how was dinner? It's good. <laughs> anyway, so David tells him, this is our strategy in war. And it is right. Is lying permitted in war? I guess to some degree, else she couldn't have spies. Spies are liars. They walk around acting like they're not... <laughs> working for somebody else, and they are. So that is a doctrinal conundrum to take apart, is it not? Uh, anyway, verse thirty-six. Indeed, they have. Uh, indeed, they have there with them their two sons. And here we go again. Himeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So trustworthy men, spies embedded now. Because David's just wise and just on top of everything. Absalom, what is he doing? He's just celebrating. He thinks he's got this. And he doesn't know David is a tiger. Verse, uh, Ahithophel knows that. And Ahithophel, when he sees that Absalom doesn't listen to him, he goes and kills himself. Because he knows. He's that, you know, in tune with how this is going to work out. I'm dead. If, if I don't do it myself, David's going to do it for me, and I'd rather not outsource it. Verse 37, so Hushai, David's friend, you see, there it is, David's friend. It's so meaningful to the man. The only people that seemed to not like David were the people who didn't like God. If you notice that in his life, you just, you know, his enemies were not godly people, with the exception of Uriah. I mean, that, 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 was, that was, let's not talk about that. So David's friend went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So into the lion's den he goes as the king's friend. 
and we'll read about all the things that are going to happen next session. Let's pray. Our Father, it's a, it's a very exciting story to read. I wouldn't want to have to live through it. But we have our own problems. And we are required to exercise faith from the lessons that you have preserved for us. And may you find us eager to do this and endure. Uh, endure the life that uh, we have been <clears throat> given and assigned the duties within. May you get us all home safely, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.